Hi, welcome to InSync, the podcast that explores the history and impact of some of your favorite music moments in TV and film. I'm your host, Rachel Brodsky. And I'm once again asking you to get out of my swamp. DreamWorks' universally beloved computer animated comedy Shrek was an instant success when it first arrived in theaters, and it remains an all-ages classic more than 20 years later. Starring Mike Myers as the titular Green Ogre, plus a motor-mouthed Eddie Murphy as Donkey, and Cameron Diaz as Princess Fiona, Shrek worked so well because of its top-tier cast, moving and relatable story, fairy tale subversions, and contemporary pop-driven soundtrack. Though there are plenty of Shrek music moments to choose from, Smash Mouth's inescapable 1999 single All-Star is a clear standout as it perfectly sets the scene where we first meet and witness a day in the life of Shrek, a big green loner who just wants to exist peacefully in his swamp. And in the wake of Smash Mouth's lead singer Steve Harwell's passing at the age of 56, we wanted to pay homage to All-Star and its vital Shrek sync over the opening. So how did All-Star end up in Shrek two years after it came out, I should add? And what did the sync do for Smash Mouth's career in 2001? Let's get into it on this week's episode of InSync. And I'm making waffles. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I revisited Shrek in preparation for this, and there are a ton of, like, DNA of pop culture one-liners. Ogres are like onions. Yes. I'll stay up late telling manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. I'm making waffles. Okay, so it seems kind of silly to have to do a background on Shrek, a movie that has spawned five sequels, a television series, a Broadway musical, and bafflingly 14 video games. And a lot of TikTok filters. I think. Yes, we'll talk kind of about the memification of Shrek in a little bit. But Shrek stars Mike Myers of Austin Powers fame as the eponymous Shrek, whose land is like imminent domained by the evil Lord Farquaad, played by John Lithgow in the film, and based on Disney chief Michael Eisner. Yeah, that was a great little fun fact that I enjoyed. (laughs) Very resonant today. Oh, yeah. Quite germane to the issues of today with Eisner. A deal is struck wherein if Shrek delivers the fairy tale princess Fiona, Cameron Diaz, to be Farquaad's bride, Farquaad will give Shrek back his swamp where he can be alone forever, which is what he thinks he really wants. 
So Shrek and his annoying buddy, a donkey named Donkey, voiced by Eddie Murphy, set off to slay a dragon, rescue Fiona, and deliver her to Farquaad. But Fiona is hiding a dark secret. On the cover of night, she too turns into a hideous ogre, and only true love's kiss can return her to her true form. I was like 15 when this movie came out, so an animated movie starring fairy tale creatures and Austin Powers didn't super <laughs> appeal to me. But the movie is full of one-liners, other movie references like The Matrix, a banger of a soundtrack, including my favorite needle drop, which mm-hmm. is the eels, my beloved monster in me, yes. which absolutely fucks. Love the eels. Shrek became a massive success, making $492 million at the box office in 2001. And before you like whip out your inflation calculators, that would be $850 million in today's money just at the box office. So like Barbie money. Barbie money. The tale of self-acceptance and opening your heart was bolstered in no small part by its soundtrack, which heavily featured the hit song All Star by the band Smash Mouth. In an opening scene and then in like later trailers, once the movie took off, they brought All-Star into the trailers. But the story of Shrek, just as the story of All-Star and the creative forces behind both of these works, is the story of finding success from failure. Before we get into the Shrek that almost was, a little bit about Smash Mouth and the hit song that was part of a different movie's promotional campaign. So like you, Aviv, I was... Not quite 15. I was 14, I think, when Mm. Shrek came out. Let me tell you something. As a wise old 15-year-old, let me tell you something. (laughs) And it really, like, I'm glad that it came out when it did, when I was the age that I was, because I feel like ever since Shrek, every popular computer animated movie, like, I just didn't see for (laughs) no good reason. So I remember when WALL-E was huge in 2008. And I, I will not say it. a single bad thing about Wally. Wally, Wally is, a is a beautiful. Movie. It's a beautiful movie, yeah. and I saw it. I think in my thirties for the first time. <laughs> and I think I've only seen bits and pieces of Frozen primarily because of my niece. Sure, I'm a Frozen <laughs> hater. I feel opposite about Frozen as I do to Wally. I I don't think Frozen is a good movie, and I don't think the songs bang. Wow. Yeah, that's a hot take. I liked what I saw. It's cute. I get it. I see why my niece wants to watch it over and over and over. Sure. (laughs) But I think I just disconnected my brain from most animated anything post-15, 14-15. So when Shrek came out, I think initially I thought it was more for my sister, who would have been about 9 or 10 at the time. And we watched it as a family. And I liked it. My sister liked it. My parents liked it. Everyone liked it. It was a 10 out of 10 real, real for crowd all pleaser. of us. Yeah. And, it, and so it remains. And I still do rewatch it every now and then. It's a good A-plus movie. It is, it is a good movie. It's a good movie. It just leaves you with the good feelings. You mentioned your other favorite needle drop. My favorite needle drop? Yes, this is what I need. <laughs> is uh, Joan Jett, Bad Reputation, playing as, as Shrek, basically just like demolishes the what is it it's like it's like a contest to see which knight which brave knight will go rescue the princess from the tower and and it just plays out like a uh professional wrestling match right yeah 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 yeah. it's a good needle drop in like a pit and i was really into bad reputation at the time and i think oh yeah and and 
Yeah, yeah. And I think I was just like, wow, I can't believe this movie has this song in it. What? We'll talk about some Shrek needle drops that almost were, and they are truly bizarre. Wow. Okay. And then when I was in college, I was like, oh my God, the eels. So this movie kind of grows with you (laughs) in terms of its humor and its music. The eels needle drop is so good. But let's get into Smash Mouth. Yes. And a heartfelt RIP to Steve Harwell and his friends and family. So let's first listen to a little bit of All Star before we get into it. Though I don't think we even need to. Not not a single person on this planet has not heard All Star. We can all recite All Star by heart. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Fed to the rules and I hit the ground running. Didn't make sense not to live for fun. Your brain gets smart, but your head gets dumb. So much to do, so much to see. So what's wrong with taking the back streets? You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Smash Mouth, the band, are originally from San Jose, California, a place that I have visited. Me too. Go Sharks. I was 18 at the time and felt very strongly that there was no culture to be had in San Jose. I apologize deeply to any right San Joseans. I went to an improv Shakespeare show in San Jose, and it was pretty uh, pretty okay. Was it? It was. It was better than bad. Okay. I can't do improv. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes, and? Yes. <laughs> um, so Smash Mouth formed in San Jose in 1994 with the three original members, Steve Harwell, who used to rap in a group called FOS, Kevin Coleman on percussion, and Greg Camp on guitar, and Paul DeLiesel on bass. So they fell somewhere between like novelty rock punk alternative ska and power pop in their earlier days their music leaned a bit more ska and alternative uh but after their first hit single walking on the sun came out which i love that is a good love that is a genuinely great song i used i love that song too after walking on the sun came out in 97 and their first album fush you meng I think it's Fush. Fush? Yeah. I've never fush? actually heard it said out loud. So. I think it's like supposed yeah. to be like, fuck you, man. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you're right. Fush you're you, right. man. So Fush you, man. After that came out, it really didn't generate any other hits other than Walking on the Sun and the record label Interscope at the time. They were really hoping for more radio singles from uh, Smash Mouth, which is kind of where we get the song we're here to talk about. And the whole of their sophomore album, Astro Lounge. So Smash Mouth's 1999 second album, Astro Lounge, which I think anyone in their 30s can just picture that cover. Everyone had this album. Everyone had it. (laughs) The cover was very like, 
in the late 90s, we were all like thinking about the millennium and the future. Yeah. And there's a lot of futuristic art and computer generated. Yeah. And uh, Astro Lounge kind of falls into that. So at the same time in the 90s, there was this odd fixation on the 50s. Do you remember this? I do. Well, I mean, Walking on the Sun, as you mentioned, is like 50s doo-wopy influence, but like mm -hmm. not. You had like Pearl Jam doing covers from the 50s. I think it is, you know, if we scale it up, similar to a an obsession with the 80s today, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like long, long time ago, no tastemaker was alive to see it or hear it. Maybe the oldest tastemakers of which we are part of that generation. And yeah, it's like retro futurism right yes all the all the corners are rounded and chromed yes and and we're about to uh embark into like a new a new era yes like i feel like lou vega's mambo number five kind of fell into this mold there was like that that swing song that was on the radio you mean the cherry pop and daddies <laughs> i probably do <laughs> zoot suit riot <laughs> Actually, I mean, that's had, not even what I was thinking of, but yeah. Oh, yeah. You even had Gap commercials. So so I think there's a really good example of this kind of retro futurism in there's this Gap commercial that I remember very specifically of people swing dancing. Yeah, I remember that one. And too. also doing like a Matrix bullet time freeze at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, why would you combine those two things? But in the 90s, we were just like, yep. No problem. Yeah, it was a free. It was just a looser time. I, <laughs> I guess, guess this would be like early two thousands. Yeah, early two thousands. So, so Smash Mouth's Astro Lounge. It kind of kind of fell into that milieu. Mm -hmm. One of the singles was a cover of the Four Seasons. Can't get enough of you, baby. Which I remember fondly as being synced in "Can't Hardly Wait" Hell and yeah, ten, and Ten Things I Hate About You." Two of my all time favorites. Two great teen movies i i tell this to everyone who brings up can't hardly wait it takes place in my hometown it does because the two directors are from you know my area in pennsylvania and the fake high school in can't hardly wait is huntington high which doesn't exist but it references huntington valley pennsylvania which is where i took my driving test Aviv, i love that i yeah. love that i love that for you I love that for me too. Yeah. I used to rewatch Can't Hardly Wait on repeat. First celebrity crush was Jennifer Love Hewitt. Ah, uh, yes. She, yes. Yes. I mean, yes. I'm nothing if not predictable. I mean, I remember having crushes on both Ethan Embry and Seth Green in that movie. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Which probably tells you something about my taste. <laughs> it sure does. At least it wasn't Mike. Dexter or whatever his name. Oh, uh, that's a hard no. Yeah, yeah. Really, any anyone who just looks typical Italian. No, no, just just typical. Like all you heard it here first. All American Abercrombie yeah, model, yeah. like just very broy, and yeah, I've just I I've you've lost my attention. Fun fact: I didn't know when I was a kid that "Can't Get Enough of You, Baby" was a cover, and yes. I was just like, "This Smash Mouth song rules." <laughs> Well, I bet a lot of people didn't. A lot, yeah. a lot of kids didn't know it was a cover. I think I did know that it was a cover because I had heard it before outside of the realm of um, Smash Mouth. Of, yeah, right. I didn't know where I heard it, but I had heard it and I knew somewhere deep down that wasn't a Smash Mouth original. <laughs> you knew it in your soul. I knew it in my soul. So now we come to All Star. Now, 
All Star was written by guitarist Greg Camp. And this was a direct result of the label asking the band to come up with some more radio-friendly songs. They wanted to get more hits out of Smash Mouth. And boy, did they ever. Because All Star was one of the last songs to be completed for Astro Lounge. And uh, it was basically like a go back and give us some more hits because you don't have enough on here on the first recorded version of Astro Lounge. So that's what they did. All Star is produced by Eric Valentine, and it was released on May 4th, 1999. And as noted, this was one of the last songs written for the album because Interscope needed more singles from the band. And Camp, he drew influence while writing from contemporary, well, then contemporary music by artists like Sugar Ray and Third Eye Blind, which I can totally hear. And, oh, I could <laughs> definitely hear the Sugar Ray in this. And uh, it was the theme of All Star, like kind of embracing your inner outcast or outer outcast. This was inspired by fan mail from listeners who saw themselves in Smash Mouth, like as all we're all outcasts here. Yeah, and Camp even said the phrase I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed came from one of those fan mm-hmm. letters about like one of the one of their fans who was being bullied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Camp sought out to create an anthem for outcasts. All Star entered the Hot 100 at number 75 on the week of May 22nd, 1999, and reached its peak position of number four on August 14th. And keep in mind, this is all in 1999. This is all pre-Shrek. But the song fared even better on different charts. It went to number one on the Radio Songs chart, as well as the Adult Top 40 and Mainstream Top 40 charts. It was a huge song even before Shrek reared his ugly head. Yes. It was also nominated for the Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals at the 42nd Grammy Awards, though it lost out to Santana's Maria Maria. Which we're not still talking about that song. No, we we really aren't. (laughs) And All Star really took off. It had such a long tail. From the years like 1999 through 2002, I would argue. Yeah, I remember. So, like, you know, we talked about like it had a peak and then it went down and then, and then Shrek kind of brought it back. But in my memory of the time, it just never went away. It yeah. was just a huge hit song for like four years straight. Yes. And part of that was because the band's manager, Robert Hayes, had the foresight to license the song out for use in various media like right after it came out right practically in tandem so some will remember that all star was practically the theme song to 1999's mystery men which can we call them our sister sister podcast podcast? Yeah. yeah our sister podcast can we talk about they're going to be doing a whole episode about mystery men I love Mystery Men. <laughs> I also remember loving it. I need to rewatch it. I have not seen it since 1999. I probably haven't either. Yeah. <laughs> I just have a very strange memory attached to Mystery Men. I love I love any movie with Tom Waits in it. That's oh, my yeah. that's my scale for liking movies. I just remember that Kel Mitchell was in it. He was in it. And Tom Waits also in Shrek 2. 
Yeah. And oh, Tom Waits also in Wrist Cutters, one of my favorites. Classic. Yeah. Mystery Men was my first ever date movie. Right on. Which, good choice, I have to say. I I was a, a little bit of a later bloomer, and my first date movie was Signs. In 2005? Two? Hey. <laughs> I don't know. I forget when it came out. One or no, two. No, you're right. <laughs> well, look, I may have gone out on a date when whoa, I was whoa, like whoa. 12, but. Okay, how'd it go? It was It was sweet. It was sweet. I think there was some major miscommunications. Though, shout that him out. What's his name? What's his No, name? I can't. He lives in LA. I can't shout him out. <laughs> well, I can I can give a brief saga. Do you know the podcast Heavyweights? You remember? Do you know the podcast Heavyweights? No. I know the movie Heavyweights. Me too. So I don't know that it's still in production. I need to look it up. But Heavyweights is like this podcast where people who have this like unresolved thing in their lives whether it's like a friendship that kind of fizzled and went away or like a relationship that used to be close is no longer or like something occurred to like cancel a relationship in your life sure something unresolved and the the subject asks the host of heavyweights to basically help them resolve it Honestly, that sounds like a great show that I should listen to and also be on. Yeah, and I used to think that if I were on Heavyweights, it would be with the subject of my first ever date because we had like we stayed friends. Like, I mean, we we like li- both lived in New Jersey, but we were like too far without licenses to see each other. Oh, sure. So we Stripped were highly apart. dependent on our parents, oh, no. which is not cute, Mm-mm. and. We stayed friends like through AIM until we were 16. This is similar to like my first like junior high girlfriend who I never went on a date with, but but like we were like boyfriend, girlfriend, and then didn't talk for like the rest of eighth grade and technically never broke up. So (laughs) I've I've been cheating on her with my wife for, I don't know. Are you at all in any way still in touch? I follow her on Instagram. Oh, okay. See, I've been, I've been in a long-term debate with myself as to whether I should just follow him on Instagram. Right on, dude. But I don't want to like freak him out or scare him. So nah. uh, I told what him- What will freak him out is when he finds out we've been talking about him for the last five minutes. I know. I know. Well, no, it's fine. I mean, I feel like as a journalist and a writer, I have some like, <laughs> like yeah. excuse to- Yeah, because you just- call from your life to an extent but anyway i we were like 14 he was like hey i still like you and i was like oh i don't feel the same way and then cut to two years later and i was like hey i still like you and then we like he's like get get fucked no he was like great and we like planned a date and then he never spoke to me again oh so you're (laughs) still dating him yes I still. although we're both cheating on each other with our respective spouses hell yeah dude so that's it's the 90s so that's my story (laughs) That's my mystery men story. Fun fact, when we have our OC episode and we talk about the Alkaline Trio, I will tell you my version of that. Awesome. My my heavyweight story. Yes. Okay, great. It has to do with the Alkaline Trio. I have a weird Alkaline Trio story too, but I'm going to save it for that. Don't don't we all? (laughs) Yeah, we do. (laughs) So, But for more mystery men mm -hmm. content, check out Can We Talk About 
because they're doing like a whole deep dive on it and it's going to be great. I can't wait to listen to it. Me too. Fun fact, All Star also appeared in 1999's Inspector Gadget with Matthew Broderick. Yeah. 2000's Digimon the movie and 2001's Rat Race. Which I saw in the theater. I heard that was good. I've never seen it though. It is it is funny. I saw that with a double feature of that and Rush Hour 3. <laughs> Rush Hour 2, one of the Rush Hours. That really sounds like a good double feature. It was. So (laughs) my mom's a listener. She's going to be mad. But my friends and I figured out like a a trick so that we wouldn't have to pay for going to see movies in our like local multiplex. We could just like, we figured out how to like sneak in. Did you just like buy a ticket and just keep going to movies? Kind of. Yeah. So So that this was the trick. And this is not to be emulated by anyone at home. Don't try this at home. But at the movie theater, it's like one ticket and it gets you just into the theater, right? And so my friends and I would buy tickets, fold them like they had already been ripped, walk in with them folded to like and flash them like, well, we just ran out to use the bathroom or whatever, and then unfold them and sit on them during the movie. And then at the end of the movie... Return them. Return the tickets? Yeah, because they hadn't been ripped. And so like, oh, we bought an extra ticket for our friend. They missed the movie. Please, please give me my money back. And, you know, so like all throughout high school, I didn't pay for, I saw so many movies I didn't pay for. And I think that when you're young and (laughs) when you're a teenager and you don't have a lot of disposable income, you should be allowed to sneak into movies. Like art should be free for kids. I don't disagree. Thanks. My mom is not going to be happy hearing this. She's <laughs> a very, very honest, straightforward person. When I hit it big, I will go <laughs> give like $10,000 to that movie theater. I wonder what my sister would have to say about that because she spent a few years in high school working at our local multiplex in the mall. And I'm sure she had some some rapscallions oh, try yeah. to sneak their way into the theater. But I never did anything even remotely as complex as the sounds yeah this was probably unnecessarily complex because i noticed that the the ticket taker was usually just not looking or checking when you run out to use the bathroom so i would just run out to use the bathroom and then kind of just eek by yeah yeah. and go back in (laughs) but i didn't do this very often i i was fairly honest but there were other things i did like i woke i I worked at a grocery store and i I would steal a pack of gum every now and then just got her right here officers yeah i I just felt like this is my bonus for (laughs) working on christmas i knew a dude who would he worked at the grocery store and he would steal scratch off tickets but not really he would just like take a bunch of them, scratch all of them off and throw away the losers. And if one came up as a winner, he'd pay for it and then have a bunch of money. He was the class president of the <laughs> rival high school, not my high school, but the rival. High school. Wow. If I've been allowed near the scratch tickets, then maybe. Yeah, but, pretty good. Pretty good. But scams. no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't allowed near any of that stuff because I think you had to be 18. We'll get back to the point of this of this episode. I don't know. Maybe. Shortly. But I, I used to have to go back there and uh, find like it was like a wall of cigarettes behind sure. behind yeah. the customer service desk. And every now and then someone in my checkout line would be like, can you get me like a menthol light or whatever, camel light? And I'd just be like, okay. And I would stand there confused for about a full minute until someone 
helped me, usually a smoker. (laughs) My customer would say the same thing every time without fail. These are all different people. Oh, you're not a smoker, are you? I'd say Uh, no. And they'd be like, don't start. Don't start. I worked at a convenience store in college and I started being able to tell what type of cigarette people would smoke just by looking at them. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Well, back to uh, All Star. This was no, this is a good segue. I love talking about high school jobs. Gave me like a window into a lot of things, including unions. Unions. Yeah, because our grocery store was our grocery store was unionized, and I I got a raise every six months. I was definitely not. Well, now we come to Shrek, which gave All Star a boost because it's not like All Star sank into the ether. It was still very much there. But the, a second the, wind. A second wind is, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And before we get into it, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how Shrek, the film, snatched victory from the jaws of defeat and immortalized Smash Mouth in the process. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back. This story's wild. So let me take you on a Shrek journey. Okay. DreamWorks is the company that produced Shrek. DreamWorks was founded in 1994, seven years before Shrek's release. But it, it was the same year as Smash Mouth. I know. But it was that year that producer John H. Williams, not, not to be confused with John Williams, the composer, got a hold of the book from his children and he brought it to DreamWorks. And it caught Jeffrey Katzenberg's attention. Jeffrey Katzenberg is one of the three founders of DreamWorks. SKG is Spielberg, Katzenberg, and Geffen. And uh, the studio decided to make Shrek into a movie. And John H. Williams said, quote, about the inspiration for the film. Every development deal starts with a pitch, and my pitch came from my then-kindergartner in collaboration with his preschool brother. Upon our second reading of Shrek, the kindergartner started quoting large segments of the book, pretending like he could read them. Even as an adult, I thought Shrek was outrageous, irreverent, iconoclastic, 
gross and a lot of fun. He was a great movie character in search of a movie. This book, by the way, was written by William Stieg in 1990. Question. Do you remember the book, The Stinky Cheese Man? Yes. Is that also William Stieg? I don't know. I really don't. But this is making me think of The Stinky Cheese Man, which was like the cleverest book in the library. Yeah. At the children's section of the library, everyone wanted to read The Stinky Cheese Man because of how funny it was. And it was also like subverting fairy Allowed to stuff. be gross. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So The Stinky Cheese Man was written by John Siska. Siska. So not William Stagg. In the book, Shrek is a repugnant, green skinned, fire breathing, seemingly indestructible monster who enjoys causing misery with how repulsive he is. And his parents decide that he must be sent out into the world to, quote, do his share of damage. And Shrek encounters a witch who, in exchange for his rare lice, (laughs) reads his fortune and utters the magic words, apple strudel, (laughs) and says his fortune is that he will be taken by a donkey to a castle where he will battle a knight and marry a princess who is even uglier than him. So the plot of the movie is very different. But the themes are similar. Self-love, beauty is more than just how you look, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The origins of the movie Shrek go all the way back to 1991. Steven Spielberg, the S in DreamWorks SKG, had thought about making a traditionally animated movie, like a 2D animated movie of Shrek. And he bought the rights to the book in 1991, years before the founding of DreamWorks. And he wanted Bill Murray to play Shrek and Steve Martin to play the donkey. I could see that. I could, but it's just a very different thing. It's yeah. the Garfield movie. Not Shrek. <laughs> <It is. laughs> yeah. So in the beginning of the production, co-director Andrew Adamson had an argument with Jeffrey Katzenberg about how much the film should appeal to adults. Katzenberg wanted everybody, right? Katzenberg was like four quadrant. We want everyone to enjoy this, just like you said, right? You, your younger sister, both your parents. Yes. But Adamson's ideas, Katzenberg was like, this is too far. And Adamson's ideas were adding sexual jokes and Guns N' Roses on the soundtrack. Yeah, maybe that wouldn't have gone over as well then, but I I could see it going over just fine now. Yeah, probably. But, you know, when they're trying to make the movie in 1994 and Mm -hmm. 5, like, putting Guns N' Roses on the soundtrack would be pretty deranged. Yeah, very different (laughs) vibes to Guns N' Roses now. Right. Not quite as deranged as who they initially offered the role of Shrek to, which is greatest American actor, Nicolas Cage. (laughs) And Nicolas Cage turned it down because he didn't want to look like an ogre and later said that he regretted it. And, you know, That's right. That's right, Nick Cage. You do regret it. Okay. So 1995 rolls around. Shrek is set up at DreamWorks. We're not going to include Guns N' Roses. The studio found their Shrek. Famous actor from SNL. He'd been in a couple hit movies with his famous SNL sketch partner. That's right. Chris Farley. <laughs> So Chris Farley was a huge star at the time. He had recorded most of the dialogue for Shrek by 1997. And unlike the version that ultimately made it to screen, Farley's version was a little closer. It was like Matt Foley character from SNL. Instead of living in a van by by the river, (laughs) he lived in a shack down by the swamp. (laughs) But tragically, Farley died in December of 1997, just before finishing Shrek. So now we're out to see. Uh Uh-huh. 
But in 2015, an animatic of Farley doing Shrek with Eddie Murphy's donkey was unearthed and uh, and put on YouTube. Have you seen this? No. I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to watch it right now. Oh, this is another one of those onion things. No, this is one of those drop it and leave me alone things. Well, why don't you want to talk about it? Why do you want to talk about it? Why are you answering the question with a question? Why are you asking questions I don't want to answer? Why are you blocking? I'm not blocking. Then why do you have problems expressing your wants? I don't. I want you to shut up. See? No problem. You're just displacing your anger. Believe me, it's properly placed. You're really mad at whoever did this to you. No one did anything to me. Yes, yes, yes. Someone hurt you so bad. Someone hurt you many years ago. Leave my parents out of this. Breakthrough. Yeah, there's like something about Farley's grumpiness. Yeah. Is uh grumpier, less endearing. Yeah, and and we'll talk a little bit about how they dialed that in, but Farley was from Chicago, has sort of a Chicago affect in here. And yeah, isn't it's just not the Shrek that we have come to know. So DreamWorks recast the voice role to Mike Myers, who insisted on a complete script rewrite, leaving no traces of the performance that Farley did. And according to Myers, he wanted to voice the character for two reasons. Quote, I wanted to have the opportunity to work with Jeffrey Katzenberg. And the book is a great story about accepting yourself as who you are. But I, I personally think that there has to be an element of honoring Farley in there. They were friends. I think he really, you know, jumped in to kind of save the movie that that Chris had to depart. So Mike Myers completed providing the voice of Shrek over the course of 1999. The film went into production. So this sounds like a weird backwards statement, but for computer animated films, you need all the voices recorded before you start animating. Mm -hmm. And the actors are sometimes in there five years before the studio releases a movie. A good example of this is Toy Story 4, which features the comedy duo Key and Peele as toys four years after they broke up. Wow. Yeah. So they just take forever to record these things and animate them. Mm -hmm. Because the film took so long to make, DreamWorks was able to reference other films that weren't even made when the film was conceived and originally recorded by Chris Farley, like The Matrix, right? Mm -hmm. Fiona does like a whole Matrix bullet time fight sequence, which wouldn't have been possible if they did the Farley version. Right. So in 2000, in February 2000, a rough cut of the movie was shown to Mike Myers and it didn't work. Something was wrong with Mike Myers' accent. It wasn't cutting it because he performed Shrek in a heightened version of his own Canadian accent. According to the DVD commentary, he also tried using a Lothar of the Hill People accent. Okay, so Lothar of the... I had to look this up. Lothar of the Hill People was an SNL sketch. It sounded a little bit like Noho Hank from Barry. He was like, Barry. hello, I am Lothar of the Hill People. <laughs> Barry. Yeah, yeah, a baddie. So I can understand why that's that says ogre to you, but that also wasn't cutting it. Yeah. So Myers asked to re-record all of his lines again with a Scottish accent because his mother's Scottish and this is the voice that he hears in his head when he hears fairy tales, right? His mother used to read him bedtime stories. And this is also the accent he used in other roles, such as So I Married an Axe Murderer, where he plays his own father, and Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, where he plays Fat Bastard. Who is Scottish. Who's Scottish, right? Yeah. So I think the Fat Bastard of it all is what jump-started this idea to mm-hmm. be Scottish as Shrek. Yeah. But he has a long 
line of doing this basically this exact voice. If yeah. you've seen So I Married an Axe Murderer, he basically does the fat bastard voice. Yes. Oh, dad. Yes, I have seen Which I, I love that movie. That's a good one. So he decided he wanted to re-record the movie again. So after hearing the alternative voice, right, the Myers like went the Scottish route, Katzenberg agreed to redo the scenes in the film saying it was so good that we took $4 million worth of animation out and did it again. Mike Myers disputes this saying it didn't cost the studio millions of dollars. What it meant is instead of me going in for 10 sessions, I went in for 20 sessions and I got paid the same. So Mike Myers, I love him. He's extremely wrong about this. Because it's not like he went into the studio alone. Yeah. There are are engineers and editors and mixers who have to be paid and who cannot work on other DreamWorks projects because he's just like, I have to redo this. Yep. So I would be extremely surprised if it only cost $4 million. I think that they threw away $4 million worth of animation and also had to pay people another bounty to re-record all this stuff. Yeah. But... It was nice of Mike Myers to do it for free, and it definitely contributed to the movie being a hit, so stakeholders should have been happy. Shrek's production was so grueling that DreamWorks allegedly used it as a sort of punishment, (laughs) so animators who made mistakes on The Prince of Egypt were reassigned to Shrek, and they (laughs) called it Getting Shreked. (laughs) Honestly, anyone who's ever worked at a website and had to go through the process of relaunching Oh, the yeah. website, I feel like this pain is a little bit similar because it's yeah. the most tedious process. At least it used to be. I don't know if it still is, but 10 years ago, relaunching a website, like I worked at places that said they were relaunching their website in the interview, and then I left that job. And they were still relaunching And they were still website. relaunching the yeah, website. Yeah. Basi- basically, the job that I just left was doing the same thing. And they kept relaunching Shrek. Like, like I understand why this, on paper, is going to be a massive boondoggle for the studio and, and going to lose $60 million. Yet, because of Myers' voice acting, more ideas came. And, you know, they're on a third, major third draft of this performance there were clearer story points fresher gags more comedy bits mike myers said that he got a letter from steven spielberg thanking him so much for caring about the character and he said the scottish accent had improved the movie and i think the scottish accent does improve the movie but like i don't know this a smacks of like i swear to god the hooker gave the money back it's like (laughs) like mike myers is like ed steven spielberg called me and said you're a genius mike yeah I wonder, I mean, I'm trying to keep in tandem with like with the timeline here, but I wonder like what a less successful voice actor would have brought because he was just coming off of Austin Powers. Austin Powers was a huge success. He got Austin Powers right around the time that Farley died. And so when they get him, he's the biggest comedy star in the world. Yeah. So Mike Myers probably was emboldened by that point to be like, I get everything I want or I walk. Yeah. Rob Schneider doesn't have the smoke to be like, I'm re I'm redoing it in my water boy voice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It all worked out for everyone in the end, but I bet it, the process sounds bad. Oh yeah. And, and we don't have aside from some of those uh, animated storyboards, on YouTube, we don't really have any 
perspective of what a different Shrek would sound like. Yeah, I think that every movie, every successful movie is like basically a miracle. And like (laughs) everything has to gel exactly perfectly. And if you change one ingredient, it's completely, completely rotten. And so I think that, you know, a Canadian Shrek or a Lothar of the Hill People Shrek would have made, you know, $10 million or something. Yeah. Would have been very forgettable. Yeah. Another person who was planned to voice a character in the film was mystery men actor Janine Garofalo. She was the original Princess Fiona. I could see that. Yeah. She was fired from the project for unexplained reasons. And years later, she said that she was never told why she was fired. Quote, I assume because I sound like a man sometimes. I don't know why. Nobody told me. But, you know, the movie didn't do anything, so who cares? (laughs) I mean, I think you would have more insight into this than I would, but in all likelihood, probably some stakeholder was like, I don't like it. Yeah, probably. And And, and that was that. Janine had a really bad track record in the 90s of this happening to her. Like, one of the saddest stories in Hollywood was that she was like dating Ben Stiller, but he didn't want to admit they were dating because he thought she wasn't like hot enough. Like, really, like, not great stuff. Sad, sad for Janine. He's easy to believe because that guy is ripped. <laughs> no, really, like that. I like I mean, that your takeaway is like, well, Ben Stiller is super hot. No, I'm. I didn't say he was hot. I just said he was ripped. He is a, a small man yeah. who <laughs> I think is trying to in Hollywood trying to yeah. to compensate for smallness by being utterly ripped. Right on. I, I have some things that I can tell you. I worked for his company for one day. One day? Can, so yeah, I got fired after one day. What? Yeah. Is it safe for it's a not, podcast? Or is uh, it- I was just told that I didn't fit in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, didn't, didn't fit in. Were you too um, comfortable with yourself? I, in fact, was too comfortable <laughs> with myself, and that's why I was not asked to return. So, yeah, I mean, listen, I, this is also like a, just kind of a rumor about about yeah. Stiller and Janine Garofalo. Yeah, we're not saying it's true. But she she was she got the short end of a lot of sticks in the 90s and and was the butt of a lot of like ugly jokes which she is like first of all don't do that no matter what someone looks like but like she's also not ugly like what? Truly justice for Janine Garofalo. I know. Um, and I I feel like did you ever see the movie The Duff? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I feel like they treated her like Mae Whitman. Yeah, like Mae Whitman who is beautiful. These are just like women who are beautiful, but they also have a uniqueness to them that they don't look airy and eventually attractive. I think it works with Mae Whitman and Arrested Development because it is so absurd that like Michael Bluth can't even remember seeing her. And Hollywood, as it is wont to do, just learns the wrong lessons and is like, oh, people love jokes about how ugly Mae Whitman is. Yeah. Like the little girl from Independence Day? Yeah. And the beautiful girl from Parenthood. The beautiful girl from yeah. Parenthood. I was going to say, I was confused by the movie The Truth About Cats and Dogs. Because she's so ugly and quote unquote I so ugly in like, the movie. I saw it as a kid and was just like, she seems really cool. Why I shouldn't. Agree. 100% agree. I don't understand really the, I mean, I saw what they were trying, because they were like juxtaposing her with Uma Thurman. 
but but people are like getting into traffic collisions because Uma Thurman's so hot, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh my god, someone below the height of five five, get me my barf bag." <laughs> I was just like, you know, like because I had just seen Janine Garofalo in uh, probably Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, and Classic. she was so cool in that movie. She's like wearing all black. I wanted to be Janine Garofalo. Yeah, justice for Janine. Justice for is Jean, yeah is definitely going on a T-shirt. So this movie seems cursed. We're on the third or fourth re-record. We've had lead actors die, get fired inexplicably, and what the fuck is this song in the intro? All Star, which was in the opening credits, was only a placeholder for test screenings, and it tested so well that the producers are like, well. Now we got to fucking get this song into the movie. And it was such a hit that they hired Smash Mouth to perform another cover, 60s cover, I'm a Believer from uh, the Monkees at the end of the movie. But as Janine said, the movie didn't do anything, right? Shrek became the first American animated film screened at the Cannes Film Festival since Peter Pan. So almost nearly 50 years. Wow. And along with that $460 million at the box office, Shrek surpassed Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace for yeah. being the fastest selling DVD ever, selling 2.5 million copies in 72 hours. Nice. And another 4.5 million copies were sold on VHS in that same 72 hours. It had the biggest opening weekend in retail, in like home video, since The Lion King in 1995. Mm, yeah, and The Lion King, you had to be there. Oh my God, you had to be there for The Lion Like Lines down the block for The Lion King. I knew that was the first movie I can remember where I had friends who went to see it multiple times. And then they would brag, I saw The Lion King three times. That may have been Aladdin for me. Yeah. Which is the year before. So like, same, yeah. same. Yeah. Also, I think it's worth pointing out that like the 90s for Disney was a boom era. Yes. And another animated company coming in and dunking on Disney as often as it did, like so many of the jokes and Shrek. Especially so blatantly. Yeah, are at Disney's expense. Yes. And to do that around the year 2000, 2001 is no small deal. Yeah, it took some stones. The Welcome to Duloc song that those little uh, yeah. little puppets sing is supposed to be like, it's a small world after all. It's yeah. like the, the same cadence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Shrek and Smash Mouth's true legacy is like random sauce memes. Yeah. Now, it would be a little futile in 2023 to like explain what random comedy memes are, but... In 2021, the Slate podcast, ICYMI, did sort of a breakdown on how Shrek became a meme. So this is from the transcript of that show. Shrek kept rolling out sequels until the sequels stopped being good or making money, but it also got a Broadway musical in 2008. And so that sort of Shrek, as it might have been, was purely an entertainment phenomenon. This is where the story begins. In 2009, eight years after the original movie's release, DreamWorks launches a Shrek Facebook page. And the bit on the Shrek Facebook page was that Shrek himself would post little notes to fans. It doesn't seem very Shrek-like. Does not seem very Shrek-like. But 
it's like hello there fellow youngsters like dreamworks has a facebook page for sure <laughs> and so they created a facebook page and that may have been the closest they got to harnessing the power of the internet which sprawls beyond their control into very weird territories very quickly so in 2010 as they're promoting shrek forever after dreamworks and paramount decide to let this kind of indie magazine do a photo spread involving shrek and the magazine is called v-man and they take a really creative approach to the spread and they pose Shrek and company, which is like Puss in Boots and Donkey and the Gingerbread Man and Pinocchio next to a bunch of models in these suggestive poses, which feels like the the first overlap in what would define the Shrek internet meme, like vaguely sexual thing. And uh, yeah, it seemed so intentional that paramount and dreamworks animation eventually told the hollywood reporter that they regretted allowing the magazine to do this <laughs> and so i'll just send you this are you can you see this link yes. here yes so i just want you to to look and react okay okay tell me what you're seeing here <laughs> all right so what do you what do you see it i see a very scantily clad model like leaning up against donkey and donkey's looking very happy about it yeah while, and it's while like, a man boy man wa- boy watches from a bed hairless otter boy hairless otter boy just watches from bed okay and so this is like very much in the indie sleaze yeah style of she's wearing like big black wire bunny ears oh yeah bustier and super dark makeup Um, it's here we have a gingerbread man um feeding her a lollipop yeah while riding like a gingerbread lion you've got fiona (laughs) and two boys like presumably shirtless fighting over her now i have an ad oh (laughs) now we have our hairless model otter boy Feeding grapes in a suggestive manner <laughs> to Puss in to Boots, who was reclining the, on a pillow. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so this is weird. I want to talk to the creative director and just understand why. Me, me too. <laughs> so in 2012, we take a bit of a turn when a website called Shrek Chan launches. Mm-hmm. And so Shrek Chan is like 4chan, but with more Shrek and fewer Nazis. And it was like a community-based message board and image board, much like Reddit is now. So Shrek Chan becomes a place where Shrek takes on a life of his own. There's a lot of discussion about the swamp where Shrek lives. Swamp becomes sort of a metaphor for a safe space. All of the bad things are known as Farquad. And there are made-up characters in Shrek Chan, like a, like a whole other made-up lore, including a, a character named Drek, who is Shrek's mortal enemy, and Drek is just Shrek but blue. Sure, fanfic. Fanfic, right. fanfic will take you to some interesting places. And it's it's funny that you say that because then in 2013, over on Real 4chan, the one with the Nazis, a copy pasta is birthed called Shrek is Love, Shrek is Life. Quick, a copy pasta is an internet meme that gets reshared and copied and pasted copy pasta uh, over and over and over again so a good example is if you've ever gotten an email like if you don't send this to five people you'll have bad luck forever or whatever 
or like the thing that people fall for every few years, which is like posting on Facebook or Instagram. I do not give Facebook the right to blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Copy pasta. So I've never seen this meme. And the folks at ICYMI have convinced me that I never (laughs) have to. But it is apparently a erotic Ah. fanfic. Sure. About Shrek, like coming into someone's bedroom and oh yeah at so night. like uh like some kind of uh well not rape fantasy yeah literally <laughs> yes like yeah. yes okay so like a consensual non-consensual shrek my yeah my oh my and, and here i thought yeah that like i mean i guess anything is possible like possible possible <laughs> i remember in the very early days of AOL that getting some unsavory emails just sent to my email sure. account because spam well, filters that why not work. yeah yeah and I, I do remember some animated classics being reimagined this is into erotic scenarios <laughs> this is quite similar to that yeah. and it is turned into a, an ex- so Originally, it's just text, and then it's turned into a haunting animated video <laughs> called Shrek is Love, Shrek is Life, and it becomes its own industry Like the, in that there are people who have YouTube channels or YouTube videos just reacting to watching Shrek is Love, Shrek is Life, a la several other very gross internet videos that I'm not going to mention. Okay. Because my mom is a listener. <laughs> I've never seen any anything, Mom. Don't worry. So in 2014, Shrek Chan just closes down abruptly. And its creator said at the time that spammers and shit posters, as well as the fact that the Shrek phenomenon has been butchered down to nothing, has made it hard for our community to survive. So Shrek goes from being this kind of template for edgelord humor into being like a casual internet waters that all memes come from like spongebob or b-movie or you know it is a shorthand for like isn't this a weird thing that we found on the internet yeah i just uh i mean i i mostly have shrek uh memes from like the tiktok era relatively innocent yeah with like i remember for a minute it was fun to just make shrek like walk over buildings yeah dancing other... sexy shrek yeah and dancing shrek and <laughs> but dancing and then... sexy shrek is like a very palatable mm-hmm. mainstream version of this like horrible internet video that's movie. where i guess i i arrived not yeah. knowing that i had arrived <laughs> but the same could be said for smash mouth this is the weirdest thing smash mouth's trajectory is very similar from the lead singer Steve Harwell being compared to Guy Fieri to the villain of the faux 70s horror movie End Zone 2. His character's name is Smash Mouth. I know this for a fact because my wife stars in the movie End Zone 2 and the corresponding mockumentary, The Once and Future Smash, which sees two actors arguing over who was the first to play the villain, Smash Mouth, in the End Zone film franchise. That is such a cool fact about It's so wild. That's amazing. But a decade or so later, this is from the New York Times. 
A decade or so later, generational nostalgia kicked off another level of success for All Star when the children who grew up on Shrek began memeing on it relentlessly. Also, memeing on it? Come on, guy. There was a version made up of entirely of samples of Bill O'Reilly saying his name and one from The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon with lyrics stitched together from Star Wars clips. This Smash Mouth meme continues to haunt me. And at the risk of plugging my own projects, my band just released a song called Keystone State, where the solo is just the melody to All Star that my guitarist <laughs> crafted to take the piss out of me. <laughs> I have uh, mostly seen, again, on TikTok, like All Star just being retrofitted to include whatever words said over and over, like Malkovich. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Biden, but, and like people stitching yeah. together, like Joe Biden doing the entire song. Or yeah. Something. But what mostly comes to mind is like someone has stretched out the beginning of somebody once told me. And so, like, something terrible happened. Like, yeah, yeah, hurt yeah. or like kicked in the nuts or like punched in the face. So you're like, some body. Uh, and yeah, yeah and, and just like the America's funniest home videosing of that sound clip. <laughs> so I want to talk about like what is it about this song that makes it so memeable? I think part of it a significant part of it is its inclusion in Shrek. Yeah. I think the inherent novelty aspect to Smash Mouth and their singing, like yeah. the way that the song comes together, they do have a novelty act aspect vibe yeah and then there's like the like steve harwell he didn't really resemble i guess your average rock singer i mean he kind of looked like maybe a fieri yeah guy fieri or i was gonna say like he looked like smash mouth would have been a a harder yeah right like hardcore hardcore boston band yeah like rap rock yeah yeah um or like the way Dropkick Murphys have kind of a novelty aspect to them. Oh, don't say that. They're going to come for you. You all, all 18 of them. <laughs> That's okay. We've met. We're friends. Oh, yeah. I know one of them, too. Well, we haven't spoken in a long time. But I remember booking them for a studio session way back when I briefly worked at Paste Magazine. And that, and they were very nice. And that was fun. Yeah, yeah. I like Dropkick Murphys. But uh, there's a... There's a novelty aspect to Smash Mouth between the cover songs that they do, because they do have a lot of cover songs, and the handful of, like, they're almost like kids' songs, like children's songs. There's an inherent positivity to them that you, that I think lends yeah. to this kind of children's song thing. Yeah. But I think that you've touched on something that is, like, extremely relevant to memes and also, like, my life. <laughs> Because I just saw Weezer for the first time. Yeah, live. Uh, I'm not like a Weezer person, but I got free tickets and I was like, why not? And let me tell you a couple things about a Weezer concert in 2023. Tell me. It's not cool. Yeah. It's like not like a cool, like like no dangerous alt people are at this Weezer concert. It's a lot of families. It's a lot of older folks. And the stage 
is yeah. a is a is a giant set at least on this tour of like a car dashboard because it's like the road trip tour and rivers cuomo the singer of weezer does mm-hmm. this gag where like his guitar isn't loud enough and he like turns up the giant knob on the car stereo <laughs> and it's like seeing the wiggles it, yes. and, but <laughs> But the reason that I bring this up is wiggles, yeah. it, it is very much like, and, and I understand that Rivers <laughs> has like a lot of social anxiety. This is like all a big performance or whatever, whatever. But yeah. Weezer also has become a meme band, mm-hmm. right? Say It Ain't So and, and that little lick from Buddy Holly have mm-hmm. become like part of meme culture too. So I think this like very safe, very positive and mm-hmm. extremely of a time and place 90s thing gets turned into a meme because it's like part of a language that everyone understands maybe. Yeah. I couldn't really tell you what, if anything, Smash Mouth were, like if they always were, I'm going to suppose that they were always positive songwriters because if if they're taken from ska, ska is historically a very like upbeat and silly and, I don't want to say surface level. <laughs> no, but like the Aquabats uh, created Yo Gabba Gabba. Like, like there ah, is yes. a ska <laughs> yes. connection with kids content. I have not seen Weezer live for a few reasons. I almost did in the year 2000, 2001. But then my friend who had gotten the tickets ended up needing to give the ticket to her cousin. And I was out. And I, I remember being really upset because I had managed to convince my parents to let me go on like a school night. And then after that, it just never happened because this was like Green Album era. And then everything that Green Album and on was like Rivers Cuomo reacting against the pain of writing and releasing Pinkerton. So yes, they're- I have a lot of thoughts about all of this yes. and like and like wanting like desperately wanting to sell out. Yes, like, and Beverly Hills is not an ironic song. He desperately yeah. just wants to be in Beverly Hills and do nothing. Which can't really blame him. Yeah, like good on you for securing yeah. the bag and just making a whole career out of this. So, but like part of the reason why I've never seen Weezer is only because I feel like I've missed my window. But if I got a free ticket, I'm totally go. This is this is what happened to me, and and yeah. it's weird because I recognized every song they played except for a couple from like the Red album, which I didn't really care for. But like a lot of the songs, like the songs, the songs of Bop, it just feels like extremely safe now. And I think that there is also an inherent safety to the music of Smash Mouth, and like I think we talked about this a little bit with our barbie episode where the things that were flaws in the technology or the art of a certain era become the things that the future generation emulates and so like the 90s kitsch i think is is what these younger people are looking back on and saying like isn't this cool and silly and also deeply not cool and we're gonna like make fun of it while secretly loving it yeah which i guess is like what we did with 80s music Right, like yeah. I would, I would yeah. throw on Eddie Murphy's "Party All the Time" at parties and be like, "Isn't this silly?" But I also secretly love this song. I still do that, right? With, so I, th- yeah. I, th- I think you know the kids are all right; they're no different than than we are. Yeah, they're just satirizing our our era. Yeah, <laughs> but of the memes, Steve Harwell said, "I get it; it's entertaining; it doesn't bother me." But at the same time, 
I don't love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've talked to a lot of artists who are around or were around Steve's age. Mm-hmm. Like their peak was in the like 90s or the 2000s and now they have to contend with like like it's really interesting the spectrum of feelings that these artists have about their peak hits so yeah and like battling the idea of irrelevance though that shouldn't be a thing yeah like on one end of the spectrum you have third eye blind who is like they they really chafe against and this is mostly just lee singer uh who chafes against steve yeah and he's never wanted to see himself as a 90s band but then on the other hand you have i recently interviewed mark mcgrath and that interview will publish pretty soon and he's like yo like you guys want to hear the 90s songs we are going to deliver yeah and and that makes sense especially for mark mcgrath because like they were like a rap metal band and they're like oh we can just make like pleasant pop songs that like kind of suck and you'll pay us for that great (laughs) and i think the same goes for steve harwell and smash mouth because what do you expect what could you possibly expect when you craft a song that's a loser anthem based on fan mail that you received from bullied kids featured in a loser movie that makes no money, Mystery Men, and then another loser movie that almost didn't get made about a loser ogre who discovers that he might be exactly who he needs to be. And that loser movie kicked off a $4 billion franchise. So All Star remains a shining example of the magic that you can create when you ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. (laughs) Nicely done, as always. Thank you. So thank you for listening to another episode of InSync. If you liked this episode, check out our other episodes. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Instagram at the InSync Pod. Find us there and let us know the answer to this week's question. What is your favorite needle drop from the Shrek franchise? Mine is my beloved monster and me. Rachel's is bad reputation. What about you? You've got five more movies to choose from. Yeah, you have an abundance of choice. So tell us, and tell us why, if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. We'll choose randomly from the best answers, and the winner will get some sweet InSync swag. InSync is hosted by me, Aviv Rubenstein, and Rachel Brodsky. We're edited by Emily Reeves. Our production coordinator is Kyle Bosch. Social media producer, Dale Stanfley. Executive produced by Tommy West at Gotham West Studios. And original music by Taylor Barefoot, a guy that we both happen to know. And InSync is produced by Gotham West Studios. That's it for InSync this week. We will see you next time. And I'm making waffles. <laughs> nice. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.